Okay, sorry, live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and tonight's prayer will be given by Ty. Dear Lord God, um, we pray tonight that you can use Sean to spread um, your word, scattering the seeds of truth and grace into all things, and that it be for um, your glory and honor. And we say these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Ty is uh, uh, going to be, not that this means much to people who watch uh, Heart of the Matter, but Ty will be uh, teaching Greek for our campus, uh, and he's going to start that next week, I think. And uh, so really grateful to have him and his skill in Greek to start teaching us how to uh, understand the vocabulary and, and uh, all the things that go along with a new language. Listen, we're taping Breaking Bread with Warren Puckett. We're doing that every week, and he's starting to build up a, a body of material, and uh, we hope that you're taking advantage of discovering what those uh, uh, tapings are all about. Every week, I get more and more information and inspired by his heart for the Lord and his love for the LDS people. Take a look at this. We had a, a tumultuous 2015. We uh, changed jobs. We moved clear across the country from Georgia to Utah and uh, got new jobs uh, and just started a new life. And we knew that God had opened all these doors for us to be here. The interesting thing about that is, um, and I know that if you've seen the first episode where I kind of discussed that I was a once a Latter-day Saint, a member of the church, and it's a difficult journey uh, for people who leave uh, that religion. It was definitely a difficult journey for us. And after a while, for me, it's been seven years. And for my wife, it's only been three years. But you get a little uh, battle-weary. And what I mean by that is our old associations, friendships that we had, and most importantly, I guess, the relationships we've had with our family and the difficulties that we've had with them because they're still LDS. And so you get a little gun shy. We knew that God opened these doors for us to be here in Utah. We knew there was a purpose. It just, it just miraculous, excuse me, miraculously happened. Uh, to me, anyway, it seemed that way, that things just fell into place for us to be here. And the thought always occurred to me was, I just don't want to talk about my former religion. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the Lord and the miraculous work that he did in my life and what he's going to do and what he has done, what he's doing now, what he's going to do. And that's what I wanted to talk about. But the Lord brought us here for a purpose. And that purpose is being uh, made more and more manifest as Warren and his wife Suzanne produce this uh, program. 
available every week, new programs coming up. We're going to keep enhancing this and making more available. Uh, really important, though, uh, his heart for the Lord and his way that he articulates that and the way he sees that relationship. And it's very important because many of you will relate to that. So we're going to keep growing this. Uh, and, and Warren and his wife, Suzanne, joined the ranks of Bishop Earl and Carla and Doris Hansen and, of course, Sandra Tanner and Bill McKeever and different people who are bringing to the pot a mix that, uh, that helps shine a light uh, into the hearts of people who seek truth. So grateful to have it. All right, we left off last week, and uh, what we're doing is we're talking about the end of material religion. I want to start off by reading from Acts chapter 4, and uh, it's Peter. And Peter is talking to a gathering of devout Jews, and this is what Peter says to them. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until a time of restitution of all things, when God has spoken from the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you, and it shall come to pass, listen, that every soul which will not hear that prophet, Peter says to those Jews at that time, shall be destroyed from among the people. Okay? So keep that in mind as we're talking about our, this, these shows about the end of material religion. Last week we gave biblical proof that the Christian faith is spiritual and that material religion is dead. If you don't believe that, go back, and you can look at last week's uh, show and the week before. We supported this from Scripture, showing how the former oikonomia, that's the Greek word, the former economy of law, had to vanish away completely before the new economia, oikonomia, the new administration, could take place. And we also talked about how the writer of Hebrews says, listen, God, God to told in uh, Haggai, he said, I'm going to shake things in heaven and on earth. I'm going to shake them until nothing will remain that can be shaken. So that the only thing that remains are unshakable things. And we talked about how, listen, you want to, you want to belong to a kingdom that is unshakable. And if your Christian walk is is built upon shakeable things, you might want to start excluding those things from, from that walk. So, the time when all things shakeable, material religion was going to end completely, remember it had to vanish away before the unshakable kingdom could reign, was when the end of the former oikonomia happened. And all the writers of the New Testament talked about the end of that former oikonomia coming their way. <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 13, 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. What day? Okay. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 10, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Right? The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, 25, 
Don't forsake, to these believers in that day, assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day's approaching, that he, uh, the writer of Hebrews says. James says really clearly in James 5.8, Be ye patient, establish your hearts, listen, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. He ties the end with the coming of the Lord right there. Now, James, he could have been wrong. That's the way we explain these passages away today. They thought that he was coming, but he didn't yet. No, James knew what was happening. Paul knew what was happening. Peter knew what was happening. They all knew. They weren't wrong. You know, in one of the last written books chronologically of the New Testament, Peter says to the believers who had repented, had turned, and had their sins blotted out, he said, listen, quote, but the end of all things is at hand. In the Greek, he was Peter, because he wrote this really close to the end of all that oikonomia, Peter said, it's at hand. And then the Greek, that means it's about to happen. Was Peter wrong? No, Peter wasn't wrong. So this is the context of what Peter said in Acts chapter 3. This is what he was saying to them well before that end was at hand. He had a good 40 years, 30 some odd years before that end would come. And so when he first started preaching to the new believers and to the Jews there in Acts, he says, repent, therefore, be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The time of refreshing will come when the presence of the Lord is here. Repent, turn, have your sins blotted out before that happens. Listen, be prepared when the times of refreshing shall come, right? In other words, the very presence of the Lord would initiate this time of refreshing. It will signify the utter end of the old economia and the full integration of all things new, including a new Jerusalem, which, which Scripture clearly says is spiritual that comes from heaven. This new Jerusalem is not of this material earth. It comes from heaven. A new heaven, a new earth. The old heaven was shaken, the new old would be shaken, the new, the old earth would be shaken, and all things would become new. So that would happen when the old economy is manifestly taken over and the new has utterly uh, 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 replaced it. Now, Peter adds at verse 20, and he shall send, talking about God, he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached to you. He's talking to these Jews in Acts chapter 3, and he says, listen, God will send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. Do you see the connection between all these factors? Peter is speaking to them, those people, about preparing, repenting, turning before the time of refreshing comes, and he ties it to Jesus being sent back, and he will send Jesus Christ to them to wipe out the former economia and to implement the new. And speaking of Jesus, who he just said, who was preached to you, and who they rejected, Peter says in verse 21, whom the heaven must receive. Okay, so it's a, the heavens must receive until, until, he says, the time of restitution of all things which God has spoken of by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. 
okay? So we are given yet another connection and explanation and context here. Speaking of Jesus at his ascension, whom the heavens must receive until, right? Meaning since he was holy and pure, he overcame sin and death. The heavens had to take him in until, Peter says, until the time of restitution of all things, uh, which God has spoken of by the mouth of the prophet since the world began. Every single believer and reader of the Bible has to decide for themselves what they believe Peter was speaking of here when he said the heavens must receive Christ until the time of restitution of all things. What does that mean to you? How do you interpret that, right? Darbian dispensationalists believe this speaks of a future date in which Jesus will finally return with judgment and establish his kingdom once and for all. And most of the Christian church, admittedly, is a futuristic Darbian, and they believe it's still going to come out there, right? Admittedly, that's how they see it. I want to use what Peter says next, plus some other insights, to explain why I'm convinced that the time of refreshing, the restitution of all things, the dispensation of the fullness of times, all refer to that period when Peter was talking to these men. The period that started the moment Jesus was born in a manger and ended when the former oikonomia was destroyed and all things were restored and restituted and made new. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, everything else. The first appeal I want to make is to show you what Peter says next, okay? So after saying Jesus was to be taken into the heavens until the restitution of all things which God has spoken of by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began, Peter adds in verse 22. Okay, he, he just said, which is spoken of by all the prophets since the world began. And then in verse 22 he says, For Moses, so now he mentions a prophet, truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you and your brethren like unto me, him you shall hear in all things whatsoever he will say unto you. In verse 21, Peter says God has spoken of this restitution by the mouth of all the holy prophets. And guess what prophet he uses as an example? He uses Moses, saying Moses truly said a prophet's going to be raised up. Who do all most Christian scholars say that Moses was speaking of here? Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Who do most Jews say that Moses was speaking of? The Messiah. Okay? It's agreed upon. So Peter continues. Now look at verse 23. And it shall come to pass. Remember, he's saying it to these people here in Acts 3. That every soul which will not hear that prophet, talking about Christ, shall be destroyed from among the people. Okay? So he has told them, repent, turn, that your sins will be blotted out. And here he puts it into context so that you won't be destroyed from among the people when the end of this oikonomia comes. That is the perfect, beautiful way to understand that. Turn, repent uh, before the restitution of all things so that you will not be destroyed. Peter is citing, you get the context. We don't need Darby to reinterpret what the word is clearly saying. Then at verse 24, Peter says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those follow after, as many have have spoken, have likewise foretold of these 
days. These days. Right then and there, he says it to them in that audience. Uh, uh, what days? The days they were living in. Is it 2,000 years later? Was it 200 years later? It's these days that Peter was alive and preaching to them, right? So he says, the prophets have all foretold of what I am doing. So then he says at verse 25, you, to those Jews, are the children of the prophets, which foretold of those days when the restitutions of all things would happen, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, in, in thy seed, all the kindreds of the earth shall be blessed. And then he adds at verse 26, unto you first. He's talking to them right there, those Jews. Having raised up his son, Jesus Christ, sent him to bless you in turning away everyone from his iniquities. And from this, we can see that Peter was telling them that the restitution of all things, the time of refreshing, the dispensation of the fullness of times was spoken of as a time when God told Abraham in his seed, all the world would be blessed, all the nations. Receive Jesus now is the message Peter is giving them. For the heavens are going to hold Jesus until the time, the completion of the restitution of all things, and the Messiah will come down and completely destroy the former administration and replace it with the new by the Spirit. And in all the laws, the prophets, the temples, the priesthoods, the sacrifices, everything from the former economy is going to be gone. Gone, okay? So there would be a new heaven, new earth governed by God, and the new economy would thrive, but the first had to vanish away. Now, the question remains for many believers today. You ready? If Peter and Paul and James and John were all speaking of Christ and his first coming through birth and his second coming to wrap everything up, and this is the restitution of all things, this is the time of refreshing, this is the dispensation of the fullness of times, then... Here comes these questions. Has Jesus had victory over all things? How was it truly the end of all things, as Peter said, if we're still here? And did all things really become new? And what does this look like? Why, are there, why is there still death? Why is there still evil in the world? And what about Satan? Has he been bound? I mean, if all this was done, how does that look? Look at, again, when Peter said, behold, the end of all things is at hand, we have to ask, who is he talking to? Was it to us? No. We have to admit that because we're still here. So obviously it wasn't the end of all things. So obviously he wasn't talking to us. He was talking to them. It was those who were living in that age and that economy, and that was about to end. Obviously this is the case, or Peter was wrong. And the end of all things was not in the Greek right at the door. But Peter wasn't wrong. Peter was dead right. He knew exactly what he was saying by the Holy Spirit. The mere fact that we're living and believing proves that Peter was talking about those people then and not to us. You see how we can see that through that? So again, writing to the people of that age, the all things Peter was talking about are related to that oikonomia, which was a material economy of religion, okay? That's why it took a long time to get to that, but that's what Peter was saying and all the other apostles wrote about. The point is not appreciated by believers, especially pastors, today because they want to continue to dominate in the material realms. 
They want to be able to believe that they are somehow contributing to Jesus' kingdom, and they forget that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, not of this world. It's of a spiritual nature. It's not the brick and mortar, right? So pastors and believers, myself included at one time, we want to believe that God is making the earth like the material garden of Eden again, right? He is, but it's spiritual. It's not material. And we want to believe that Satan has been completely thrown out. We look to that imagery instead of him being allowed to continue to tempt, but having absolutely no power. He has no power to hold anyone after this life. He's lost his power in this world. We can give him power through him tempting us and us allowing him to do things, but he has no power over Christ. He has no power with God over this world. His power is done. All he's allowed to do is tempt. That's what he was allowed to do in the Garden of Eden. He had no power there, but he could still tempt. Listen, Christ had the victory. He was completely victorious. He's not waiting to have the victory. Uh, the dispensation of the fullness of time started at his birth, as we proved last week, and it was in effect uh, when the former administration was completely wiped out and continues on until this day. The completed restitution of all things continues out until this day. Let me wrap this out with a final scriptural insight, insight that will rock the Orthodox world. It's going to, you know, I have to teach it. But it is really something people do not want to believe today, uh, especially today. Speaking of Jesus, stay with me. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.22, Who is gone into heaven, listen, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers are made subject to him. Angels and authority and powers. The most literal Greek, Greek translations say they were all made subject to him. Got that? Now, we remember that the writer of Hebrews calls Jesus our great high priest. And he entered into the Holy of Holies, right? With the, uh, his own shed blood before the Father. And we talked about last week or two weeks ago how in, in ancient Israel, the high priest had to come out of the Holy of Holies to show the nation of Israel that the offering was accepted. So his coming out of the Holy of Holies was very symbolic. And so we always talk about him ascending and future say he's still there. And if he's still there, then he hasn't overcome all things. He had to return to show that it was all done. We often say his resurrection is proof that it's all done, but his coming back has to happen for it all to be done. So we have Jesus entering to the uh, Holy of Holies upon his ascension, sitting at the right hand of God. This is what, where he was still when Peter was writing and speaking to these people in Acts chapter 3. Jesus had ascended and he was still there in the Holy of Holies with his blood. For the entire generation, the nation of Israel to whom he came would have the opportunity to recognize him through the witness of the apostles. They would all give that he gave them extra time. They didn't just need to receive him. They didn't. They killed him. But he said, now I'm sending you out and witness to these people. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. The parallel is he had to come back out of that to those people to show that he was who he was. And when he did that, he would save his bride. All right. We often, uh, if he hasn't returned, put it this way, then we are still waiting to see if God 
truly received his offering as high priest, entering in with his atoning blood. So again, speaking of uh, Jesus, Peter says, who's gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. And Peter says, at that time, at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. In other words, when Peter was writing, he admits that Jesus is now at the right hand, but he says these angels and authorities and powers would, it's not that they were going to be, he said they were at that time made subject to him. It was done. We're not waiting for this to occur. Paul echoes, I know what's going on, but Paul echoes this finality. You stay with me. Go to, uh, go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and read with me. Paul echoes exactly this thought. And he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who to believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought, that line is past tense, in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet, past tense, has, past tense, and gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fits all in all. So back to Peter, last verse in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Like Paul, he too says, Jesus has gone into heaven. He's on the right hand of God and all things, all things are in his control. If I was the president of the XYZ Corporation and in my bio it said, Sean McCraney is over the senior managers, the laborers, and uh, the financiers of the XYZ Corporation. That's a similar way of saying he's over the whole deal, Okay. So that is what Peter's saying here. Jesus alone has all the power. Got it, earned it, took it by his obedience and by his faithfulness and his love and his faith. And he alone can save and he alone can, can, uh, can destroy. We do not have to worry about Satan as believers. We don't have to fear his power. There's no fear at all of that. Christ has had victory. Nobody needs to fear uh, who has put their trust in him. But now the troubling part, okay? At the time Peter wrote these words, the gospel was still being preached to the house of Israel, who were dwelling at Jerusalem, where the temple stood and the priesthoods thrived and the genealogies lay. As we mentioned earlier, in chapter 4 of this epistle, Peter includes, but the end of all things is at hand. I am convinced that this means the ends of all things relative to the establishment of what God has established to redeem humankind. All of that is done. All of it is done. There's no more needed. I don't believe it's the end of the work of the Spirit because the Spirit is continued. But the foundation of redemption is completely satisfied in Christ and has been completed by God. There is nothing else needs to go on for his kingdom to continue to grow and roll forth. But I do believe that his work in and through the, uh, and against the nation of Israel to establish all things through them and their promised Messiah has ended. And the implications of this are so weighty. I'll wrap it up with this. Why? The most oft-quoted words in the New Testament from the Old come from David, a psalm, 110, verse 1. 
The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. You recognize this? Until, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Let me ask you, have you read scripture with me? Did Paul say the enemies were all placed under his feet? Did Peter say that all the enemies were placed under his feet, that all authority was in his power? So we have a prophecy there from David who says, God said to my Yahweh, God's, I mean, Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until, until I make your enemies your footstool. We've just read from a pen of Paul and Peter that that's been done. And if this is so, what are we to make of the line, Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. We can either continue to maintain that either not all enemies are under his feet and we're waiting for them to be placed under his feet in the power of Jesus, or we could agree with Peter and Paul and admit that God has placed all the enemies under his feet, his footstool, and the restitution of all things is complete. Which is it? Most believers today somehow believe that Jesus is not in control yet. They say he's not. No, Satan is still doing all this. And they, they say, look around. Does it look like he's at the helm? But remember, his kingdom's not of this world. His kingdom is spiritual. And he's in full control of that kingdom. Full and always has been. And he clearly states that. So, if Peter and Paul say all things were placed under him, and David prophesied that the Lord God said, sit at my right hand until... I make your enemies your footstool, we have to ask ourselves, is Christ still at the right hand of the Father like we say without a thought? Constantly we say that. He's there, he's working, he's making a mediation between. All that is going on. Is that the case? According to Scripture, it's not. He's, he's in the bosom of the Father. His, his body or whatever all that is, it's all done. It doesn't mean that Christ isn't our mediation. It doesn't mean that Christ, we don't have to come to God through Christ. We do by faith. He did that. He established that foundational work. But the imagery that he's still there and there's still all that, Scripture clearly shows that's not the case. And we have to understand what Paul meant when he said this. And I say this a lot, but it's very important passages. Last passages. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, listen, they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end which I believe is the end, Peter said, was right on its way. Listen, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, it's happened. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now listen to the last verse, verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also be made subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. 
You tell me what it says. You tell me what all that means. I think it's so clear, and I don't think we ever want to touch it because it doesn't fit our tradition. It doesn't fit the way we see things. It doesn't fit our rhetoric that we pour out over there all the time. It doesn't fit it, but the scripture is so clear, right? Is this saying what we think it's saying? I say it is. I say it is. And that everything is done. Everything is over. And even Christ himself has left the right hand. He's in the bosom of God. God is one. He is all in all. All things have been delivered unto him. Listen, in the beginning, God said, spoke, let there be light. There was light. God spoke and everything he said happened. I would suggest that the very words God spoke, which were in the beginning with God, uh, which were God, became flesh and dwelled among us. I would suggest that his word, name Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, accomplished everything that he was called to accomplish, and he finished it all. He finished it all through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father where he reigned and where everything was put under his feet and finally his return out of the Holy of Holies to those people. The end of all things occurred and now God is all in all and the dispensation of the fullness of time rolls forward where God is calling into his body new believers every single day of our time. I now submit that since all things, including death, we're talking about spiritual death, have been won over by him, that his sitting at the right uh, hand of the Father until is complete. It has no, does not diminish anything from Christ Jesus, but it simply says he did it all. It's finished. God is now all in all. Him sending his son, he did the whole deal. There's no more of the interaction going on. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I agree with scripture that nobody can say those things here or there, unless it's by the Holy Spirit. And that in the face of all this, we cannot see Satan as anything but absolutely powerless. He has been rendered absolutely powerless by God because God has victory. God does not lose. He doesn't lose to our will. He doesn't lose to Satan's will. He doesn't lose to anything. He has victory, but he has it through love. And he doesn't have it through manipulation, and he's had that victory. Death will hold no person. All people will reap what they sow at death with some receiving an immediate resurrection to damnation, whatever that means, and some an immediate resurrection to life because God has finished it all. We're going to uh, wrap up the board presentation of this next week. And let me just tell you, if you want all of this sent to you, this is our workbook. It's 40 pages. And... Um, just email us now. I haven't gotten this to Seth to put it up on the website uh, to order through the website, but just email us. We mail it. We'll get it to you for free uh, unless you want to make a donation. That's always welcome, but we're not going to charge you for it. And we just want you to read it and consider it, challenge it, test it, use the scripture and see if you think there's any merit to this stuff because I think you'll find out that there is and it really opens you up to understanding God better and better and his son. With that, let's take a look at this spot. And we'll come back and take Joshua from Vegas and Luke from Augusta, Georgia.
That was quick. You know, she did that to surprise me, I think. All right, uh, our director's laughing, and that's always a good sign. Let's go to Joshua in Las Vegas on line one. Joshua, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Good, how you doing? Hey, doing well. Um, anyway, just watching the last few episodes, and man, you're just spot on. I love to, I love to listen uh, to these last few episodes because they just so represent exactly what I see huh. in Scripture. Um, so, I mean, it's been, it's, yeah, it's been awesome. I've been watching your show a lot, but um, I wanted to ask you a couple things. Uh, are you familiar with uh, a pastor who's deceased now named Kelly Burke? No. Okay, well, Kelly Burke taught, um, uh, he taught a doctrine that's right in line with what you're teaching right now, and it was, a, it was about baptism, huh. the spiritual baptism. Huh. He said that, uh, well, he shows that baptism in uh, John's baptism, all the passages that have to do with water, actually take the errant, I mean, the imperfect uh, passive indicative. Okay. Where, whereas all the other ones in the book of Acts um, have to do with the, uh, are in the aorist passive indicative, which basically means it's happening to them, rather than they're actually taking part in something. Wow. Yeah, you know, you know it, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, it's a teaching series called Where's the Water? by Kelly Nelson Burke, so I would definitely check it out. And guys who are watching Heart of the Matter, you guys, I hope that you know how, how spot on Sean McCraney is on this. Um, and there is so much merit to, to preterism, and I hope that you guys get that pamphlet and, and check it out because, oh my gosh, I mean, it's completely revolutionized so many lives um, in the way that people are seeing the Bible. Thanks, Josh. That was a very nice plug. J Josh, one thing, don't go. How do you spell the author's last name? Oh, yeah, uh, B-I-R-K-S. Oh, Burks. Okay. B-I-R-K-S. We'll check that out. I really appreciate it. Hey, email us. I'll send you one of these booklets. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. All right. Thank you so much. Have Thanks, Josh. Bye-bye. Okay, we are going to Luke in Augusta, Georgia. Luke, what's up? Hey, Sean. How are you doing? I'm a first-time caller. I'm calling in. I've uh, been listening to your show for about a year. Uh, it turns out one of the guys I work with actually escaped from Colorado City a while ago. And wow. uh, like so many people who leave there and the LDS as a whole, he's gone quite secular. And uh, because of the faith Jesus he was introduced to as a kid, he uh, doesn't have any respect for any religion or, or real Jesus at all. Yeah. I was just wondering whether you have a uh, any pointers on what a good starting point would be to maybe talk to this guy and oh. the trap they'll fall into. Yeah, you know, uh, Luke, it's a tough one because uh, especially the Colorado City guys, uh, we had a kid once, uh, his name was Ben, and he came out of that, and it, he was just hollowed out and kicked to the curb with a brain injury. It was just so sad what that religion really did to him uh, from that part of the uh, country. Um, you know, I would just, I don't know, I just love the guy and, and try to share the grace and love that God has for him outside of all religion. And, you know, I don't know, take your time and seek the Spirit, but 
Love uh, and grace goes a long way when doctrine and teachings and rhetoric stops people's ears, especially people who have been burned by religion. So I wish you the best of uh, God's speed with that, Luke, because it's tough. Yeah, thanks. I guess it's the, uh, well, not quite the pinnacle, but definitely up there as far as earthly kingdoms go. So. Uh, it certainly is. It's way up there. Thanks so much for watching, Luke. Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye. Listen, in light of that, we're going to go to Charlie in Salt Lake and Carlos in Peoria, Arizona. But before we do that, we have an email from Fanny Linders. She said, in December 13, I sent this question to the LDS website. I, uh, this is my second request. I was sealed to my husband, divorced. Three years later, he remarried. He asked me if he could, see, if he, if he could break our sealing. I said no. He went to the temple and was sealed to his new wife. Does that mean that I broke the, he broke the ceiling with me without permission? What's her question to the LDS website where they say, send us your question? In March 6, March 6 of 2015, so a year and a half later, they apologized. Thank you for your message from 2013. We apologize for not responding sooner. Uh, and they give some reasons why it had to do with some kind of technical thing. The response is this, it is my understanding that a living man can be sealed up to four women as long as he is only legally married to one of them. For further information, I suggest that you speak with your local leadership about your concerns. They can also tell you your status of your sealing in their computer files. I hope this helps. And she says, does this not constitute polygamy? Polygamy, it seems by their own admission that the church practices at least a form of it, and they absolutely do. Absolutely. Yeah, man can be sealed to more than one woman. I guess, according to him, four. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard that before. I didn't know they, they put a ceiling on it. And, uh, and, 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 and for those of you who don't know, LDS believe that by the power of the priesthood they hold, if they seal somebody to another person on this earth, that ceiling is carried over into the life hereafter. So that man is going to have four wives uh, in the hereafter. And so they believe that polygamy is an eternal principle, and so it's still being practiced. That's why I, we've always said on the show, and we've talked about Mormonism more, it's really annoying when they say we have nothing to do with polygamy, because they certainly do, and they won't change it, and they won't make an official declaration against Doctrine and Covenants 132, because if they do, they are renouncing an eternal principle that was established by their founding prophet. So any Latter-day Saint today, any Latter-day Saint woman today, who does not believe polygamy is a principle is wrong. It's an absolutely an eternal principle, and it has yet to be rescinded. Let's go to Charlie in Salt Lake City. Charlie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. Hey. Let me turn this thing, let me turn this thing down real quick. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I was just listening to you, and you caught me off guard there. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, thank you, by the way, for uh, bringing uh, Don Preston on. That was that was really a, an eye-opening experience. Yeah. It, uh, sent us on a great uh, path of understanding uh, the, the old covenant, and, and um, you're spot on uh, where you're coming from tonight as far as uh, the old covenant that was uh, physical, and now we are in the new covenant, which Jesus flat out said, you know, this is you serve God in spirit, not, not in physical things but in truth and spirit yeah so 
you know, we can learn a lot from the demons when they when he came across on, on the boat and he said, uh, who are you? And he said, we are many, we are legions. And they said, what are you going to do? Why are you going to, don't send us away before our time? Hmm. Well, what time were they speaking of? Hmm. Hmm. It's something I thought about that. That's a good one. Yeah. And then there was one other thing, and I, I, I just wanted your opinion on this, was if we were cast out of the Garden of Eden, now that was a physical thing. We were cast Ooh. out of that when the cherubims were put up in the sword. So if that was a physical, this is the only thing I'm having a little issue with, whether is if that was a physical exit, would we then be in the presence of God once again in the physical when he walked with us or is that just from here on out a spiritual thing because the garden was physical yeah I would imagine yeah to me it seems like uh, that was like Paul said first comes the physical and then comes the spiritual so first we had Adam and Eve kicked out of a material garden and now with Jesus as Paul calls him the second Adam we enter into a spiritual relationship where we walk in the, gar in the garden with the Lord today. He walks in the cool of the day with us spiritually. And we, right. we manifest that by being born again and Him moving into us. And so we have our own spiritual Garden of Eden in which we exist in today. I would see it that way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, Charlie, thanks for watching. Hey, you bet. Hey, thank you. And uh, I really hope you reach quite a few people with this. It's so spot on. Thanks, Thank, John. Praise God. Bye-bye. God bless. Yeah, we hope that uh, we'll continue to and God will bless it. Listen, I don't remember Don Preston's, uh, uh, he does, a, I think, a daily blog of some kind of outreach video. I apologize to him for not knowing it, but check it out. Type in Don Preston, preterism, uh, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-M, and, uh, and, and he, he really has a lot to say about the subject. Let's go to Carlos in Peoria, Arizona. Carlos, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, John. Um, thanks for having me on. I, I don't know if you remember, uh, I spoke to you maybe about a month and a half ago, and uh, I just wanted to thank you because the direction of your, of your show now, and I'd say like in 2014, it really speaks to people who come from an agnostic point of view, because a traditional church, just it's you can't grasp it when you come from that, I don't think. Or at huh. least in my position. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I thank you for that. You're, you're welcome, Carlos. And I'm really glad to hear that because uh, a number of years ago, when we kind of, when I personally said, I'm going to step away from going just LDS and I want to talk about problems in uh, what we call evangelical Christianity, and one of the justifications is we are going to lose the war in this world with, uh, against science, against, against all the different factors, when our kids start thinking, we have to give them something more than rhetoric. And we have to start showing them a reasonable way to respond to God based on what Scripture says, not some formula we create, not some program, but just let's look at Scripture. And so I'm really glad to hear that uh, you believe that this approach is going to help agnostics. I hope it will help atheists. Well, I really think it would, too, because, you know, it's the, the traditional view is hard enough to grasp, if, you know, if you've been raised Christian, but if you were kind of on the fence to begin with, it's really hard to, because it just doesn't make any sense, you know, because you read things 
a little differently, I guess. Yeah. So this, is, this is definitely a big help, and I, I can't say that all agnostics think of it this way, but I, I, I'm maybe so, and so hopefully this will help other people. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. God bless. See you later, Carlos. Okay, we have uh, an email from Mike from uh, across the pond. Mike and his wife, uh, Mike Lake, do a lot for the ministry. Uh, Seth and him work together on and with Wendy getting uh, videos fixed. I don't know what they have to do, but they got to do some horrible things uh, to get them right. But in any case, he has a question about how to submit your testimony. We're taking video testimonies and putting them on the site. And we know a lot of uh, sites have done that, but we uh, do have an audience that we reach. And so if you have a, uh, a testimony you're willing to give and to put your face with it, because that's the kind of the thing that helps. And Bishop Earl does this. He does in-depth interviews with people. We just want you to take a camera and just set it there and just talk to the camera about what happened with you, why you came, how you came to know the Lord, why you left the LDS church, uh, whatever you want to say. We won't censor it. Say what you want to say and uh, send it to us and we'll put it up on the website. So uh, Mike reminded me of that and I just wanted to say uh, thanks. William says that he's learned uh, a lot about being a Christian. He's never been Mormon. He didn't have any interest in it, but about being a Christian from the show and he thanks us. Thanks, William. Guy has a question about the virgin birth. <gasps> I'm a, excuse me, I'm a believer, but I was wondering about the Mormon Jesus conception. Was Mary Elohim's spirit daughter, and did he have physical sex with her? Wouldn't that be incest? Have you heard of it put this way, or am I misrepresenting it? Well, uh, uh, it depends on who you're talking to within the faith. Today, they very rarely, anybody talks about uh, the father coming down and having relations with Mary. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that at the core of the guy, anybody who's like 50 and older who's LDS believes that to be firm. I remember when I was a high priest group in Huntington Beach, uh, uh, a, a guy I looked up to stated that this is how it happened in our high priest group. And I, I raised my hands. I don't, I don't believe that. And, and he laughed at me. He laughed, a belly laugh, like, you are such a fool, Sean, uh, about my not accepting that. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary uh, and not the, even the Father. So for Trinitarians, that's an issue too because uh, Jesus, is he, the, is he the child of the Holy Spirit? Is he the, the child of God the Father? You know. So anyway, um, I think the LDS have traditionally taught that the Father came down and because the Father's in a body of flesh and, and bone, no pun intended, uh, they believe that this relationship was, uh, sorry, but they do believe this relationship was literal. Uh, it's really blasphemous to say that, you know, in Christian circles, but that's how it works out, bottom line. Brigham Young was full of quotes about it. But, uh, you know, now I think they really pulled back off that and they say no, 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 and whatever. Uh, Fifteen months ago, I took a 30-day fast from church and did nothing Mormon-related, says Andrea T. It was fantastic. I read the Bible. I prayed to God. I felt liberated, lightened, and free. I went back to church, and there was an immediate energy drain. I felt worse after church than I did before. It was so heavy. And then she says she's so grateful to have 
experienced this separation from it and then the relief that came and then was able to go back and say, oh my gosh, the oppression's back. There's a challenge for you. Try that. Give yourself a 30-day fast. I mean, they always want you to keep coming back, keep, you know, come to your meetings. Give yourself a 30-day fast and see what it's like to miss uh, that church for 30 days and see how your spirit relates to God uh, having done it. Listen, we're going to James in Dayton, Ohio. James, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Great. Hey, uh, just wanted to say, love your show. Um, learned a lot from you, and you've been a huge encouragement to my own uh, you know, discussions with Mormons. Thanks. Uh, sometimes just, uh, you know, getting on the show and seeing a Mormon that's actually come to know Jesus was encouragement to me after some of our conversations. So I wanted to say that. Also really appreciate, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, doctrines and stuff you've been leafing through and, uh, you know, the subjectivity and all that stuff. Um, I had some questions wanted to run by you. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a couple episodes behind you. I didn't hear tonight. Um, I did hear a lot of the preterism um, quite a few months ago. And the first time I really had considered a lot of that, and I thought you had a lot of great insights in, you know, Matthew 24 and 25 and connecting it with what actually happened. And I never even knew anything about 8070, so I thought all that was really great. Um, I guess, you know, the limited understanding I have of Old Testament uh, prophecy, I, I still wonder, there seems to be an awful lot there that doesn't seem to have um, taken place. Yeah. So things like... Jesus, you know, standing on the Mount of Olives and splitting and the temple and the river flowing both directions from the temple to the Dead Sea, you know, th those kind of things. Yeah. Um, where do those fit? Um, I, I guess um, I, I guess the other insight that, that you pointed out, which I think is great, is showing um, how a lot of New Testament writers were saying, look at what's about to shortly take place, and you did a great job um, showing that until, you know, John saying, look, the last hour is right here. And, and I'm following all that. Um, I guess the other observation I'm starting to have is um, the, the Apostle Paul seems to be bringing in something new that wasn't um, prophesied, you know, the, the body of Christ. And how do you feel about him being the first in the body of Christ? I mean, we normally look at Pentecost as the beginning, but Pentecost and what happened there seems to be fulfillment of the latter days as was prophesied for the house of Israel. Yeah. And uh, Paul seems to be the first given grace, as he says. Um, just wondering if you could comment on some of that. Well, on the Paul uh, point of view, you're right. And it does take a kind of a leap of faith to believe that he was the one. And, you know, there's ties to accepting Paul uh, almost as there's much as there's ties to some people today accepting Joseph Smith because he came along after the fact, and he's like, hey, I saw God, and uh, he called me, and here I am, and this is the, and he, if it wasn't for Paul, we would still be uh, very tied to uh, Hebraisms and Judaism and everything else. So, but the thing that helps me with Paul is the fact that Peter does validate Paul and his writings as scripture. He literally calls them canon. And so um, uh, that's, that helps me. Uh, but I do believe that Paul is absolutely seamless in his ability to tie Old Testament concepts with new relative to the law. So his writings really, by the Spirit, 
help me believe more versus if I took a Joseph Smith and looked at all of his writings in, in, in context of Old Testament, uh, I would be sorely disappointed. So uh, that's the thing on Paul. In terms of preterism, you know, I'm going along with you. I'm, I'm learning as you do, James, uh, probably at, I'm right, you and I are side by side. Uh, but I just, it just smacks so clear to me relative to the New Testament that the Old Testament ones are starting to come in. I would go to preteristarchive.com or .org and you, there are answers to all the Old Testament stuff and see if those suffice. And let us know. Tell us what you think. See if they hold water uh, according to your knowledge of the Old Testament. But I don't have those answers uh, completely. And every day there's something new that pops up. But so far, every time something new pops up and I get into the Word and I seek it out, I find something that makes a reasonable sense. And that's why I like it so much. I hope that helps, my brother. I think we are out of time. Derek's okay, giving me the piece. Go ahead. Derek oh, just I said, peace out, Sean. I could talk here off all night if I could, but uh, if you got to go, that's, that's fine. No, no, I think we have uh, a minute and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with the expectation being there, and I, I think that's a straightforward rendering of the passages that everybody was looking for Christ's return. Um, I, I think you believe, like I do, that Israel was cut off. Um, but I guess when you look at what Paul's saying in Romans 9 through 11, they're cut off. But you know the callings in, of God are irrevocable, and you know it's a it's a temporary cut off. So when the fullness of Gentiles comes back in, they'll pick up in that 70th week of Daniel and finish the things that weren't done. I guess is what I'm putting forward. Again, I I can't prove anything. I'm just curious about it. Is is that was that 70th week started, and you see some of it coming to pass right there in Acts, and then. Um, was it finished? Uh, I believe based off of Israel's rejection, since they didn't, you know, receive the Messiah as, as Peter was calling on them to do. Yeah. So that times of refreshing could come, since they didn't do that nationally, instead they killed James the Apostle. Um, was that completed? I guess. Uh, in my opinion, it was completed. I think it was done, and now there's no difference between Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus, male or female, bond or free, all one and the same. However. Uh, I'm a little bit radical, but up to that point in time, before 70 A.D., uh, those who believed on Christ could have been saved from that physical destruction, but I believe God, being a faithful husband, redeemed all of Israel uh, uh, at that point spiritually. I believe all of Israel, he fulfilled his covenant to them, and they were redeemed, but that's up to that point. After that point, I believe that there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no nation of Israel now. We don't, they don't even know who they are. And that really goes counter to the way most Christians believe. I'm not anti-Semitic at all. I'm grateful for the history, but I don't think there's any Israel anymore, except for believers okay, so, by faith. So to your knowledge, everything's been fulfilled, both in the New Testament and everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament? Yeah, I'm a full preterist all the way. Okay. So, like, even the, the things like the, you know, Mount of Olives and, you know, the disease yeah. of tongues and eyes dissolving and all that stuff. Yeah, and the thing about that is, is what you're doing, and it's great, is you're challenging me, and I don't even, I've never even looked at the explanation for the Mount of Olives. So what that does is it gives me an on-air challenge to go and find out, is there a reasonable, and next week we'll open up with that response of what it is, and maybe I'll be proven a fool, and then I'll come back and I'll have to say, yeah, that, there's really no really good explanation for the, the prophecy that the Mount of Olives split. But I have 
four experts in preterism who email me and talk to me, and I'm going to them and find out and see what they have to say. Okay, well, I only know enough to be dangerous, so I, I me too. Read as well. But, me uh, too. What would you do? Yeah. Hey, thanks, my brother. God bless. All right, you too. See ya. Great calls tonight. We'll continue next week. We're going to finish up, try to finish up, the end of material religion. We have the booklet. Write us for the time being until we get it up online, and we can send it to you electronically, uh, uh, and or you can always get these from us here in Salt Lake City. We love you. See you next week. I'm on a ride going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind and I won't be coming out I'm going this man's awake a storm's arising the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start.